Welcome to the City Shapers podcast, a series where we sit down in conversation with the creators and custodians of Australia's property and built environment industry. In this series, we'll be talking to corporate leaders and entrepreneurs, designers and placemakers, innovators and disruptors. We'll be exploring what's important in this industry and how we tackle the challenges and opportunities that confront us in the future. This series is brought to you by The Urban Developer, Australia's largest, most engaged and fastest growing community of property and urban development professionals. Head to theurbandeveloper.com for more. Guiding us through this conversation is founder and publisher of The Urban Developer, Adam DeMarco. Hi guys, Adam here. Just letting you know that this episode is sponsored by Propolytics. Propolytics is an easy to use calculation and projection tool for industry professionals and sophisticated investors. Think of Propolytics like your one-stop shop for managing your property investment portfolio. With it, you can stay on top of property details, expenses and deductions, rental income, and then also manage your cash flow projections. You can check out Propolytics by heading to iTunes or Google Play Store, or you can head to propolytics.com.au. In this episode, we'll be talking with Brad Krauskopf, founder and CEO of Australian co-working provider Hub Australia. Brad launched Hub Australia in 2011 as a solution to connect people and organisations with talent, ideas and resources. Hub is now the country's largest Australian-owned and operated co-working provider with locations across Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane. In this episode, we'll be talking about the importance of creating a unique and memorable space to work, how the co-working culture has evolved from a few first movers to an established segment of the office market, how large corporates are now jumping on board the co-working bandwagon. And finally, we'll learn how Hub Australia plans to harness the power of virtual reality to take workplaces into our digital future. In this episode, we jump straight into the conversation about space. We hope you enjoy this episode of City Shapers. So Brad, space is really important. How do you go about designing your spaces. Okay. So once we've got the location and we've got the heritage unique nature right, we start with the person. You know, we start with the, pe- the person that needs to uh, love coming into work every day and that's our customer. That's the business, that's their employees. Uh, so how we create that space, we now put a lot of amenity in. So the, the cafe is that and the welcome area, that's that first experience. And, you know, we actually think of ourselves as a hospitality business. Um, you know, people don't uh, leave after the meal or leave in the morning um, like a, a cafe or a hotel, but people can leave every single month in a co-working mm-hmm. uh, space. So we are ultimately judged every single day by the work experience that we've provided for, for, for people coming into, into the hub to have the cafe we have a, a, a beautiful member kitchen but like a kitchen not a kitchenette kind of thing like you can cook you can do all of these different things like the cafe and the kitchen that's the heart of the hub awesome uh the gym the media room the podcast uh space the parents room end of trip with towel facilities the whole idea is to have something where these small businesses can grow and attract amazing talent and make sure that that amazing talent haven't had to give up any of the frills of the corporate office that they could have been in if they had a uh, pick to work for the corporate. So once we've got all of that amenity right, now we've got to get into the um, into having a, a diversity of spaces so that people can work how they want, when they want, and wherever in the space that they want. You know, when somebody comes in, it depends what mood they're in that day, it depends what the project is or the task, we need to make sure that we've got that 
space available for them. Our mission is to create a home for for businesses to grow. And that home part is really important. And it's where we we train and recruit our team to create a place where people feel welcome coming into every day. Um, they feel like they can create, they feel like they can innovate, but most of, most of all, they feel like they, they're, they're part of something bigger. Um, and that that's really mm. cool because, you know, when we get asked to work countless hours a week at all different hours a day, uh, of a day, um, we need to feel like we're part of something bigger. And uh, the hub and its community allows these small businesses to, 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 you know, have that autonomy and that identity and the authenticity of running a small business, but then be a part of something bigger. And that, that's the hub community that we're, that, that we're growing. And you talked about hospitality being really, really important. H- how do you resource that hospitality in your team? Like, are you pulling people from the hospitality sector? Yeah. What's important in your team? allowing other teams to grow? Certainly the hospitality background and I guess that person that loves to serve others and, and, and see them succeed. But one of the questions that I ask everybody that I, that, that I interview for the company is, you know, what, what business would they start and what business will they start when they leave Hub? Because ultimately, the reason that people keep working at the Hub, they love the members, and it's like we're surrounded by all of these um, these businesses that are trying to achieve their own dream, their own vision, and and, and you know their own su- success. Mm. So with that, it makes it an incredibly energetic and emotional in- environment, and we need people that thrive in that, and we need people that get it dead set kick out of helping our members succeed and grow their businesses and be happy in their work lives. And what sort of programs do you layer on top of the the space and the community? Talk us through your kind of your community program strategy. Yeah, sure. First tenet is that they're all member led. You know, ultimately we split them into um, social business and wellness, but ultimately all of those social business and wellness events are put on by other members for other members. Right. I've also learned how important the social events are. I'm not talking big parties. I'm talking like the mixed bag lunch, the lunch and learn, particularly for small businesses. A lot of the reason people work for a big pump, big company is because they do want that social element and they want to develop friendships and all of those different kinds of things. Um, and you do business with people that you trust. So part of the business events that we do to help people grow their business are the social businesses where people can get to know each other and then once they've got that trust then they go on and they're happier sharing contacts happier sharing uh leads and they're happy sharing uh le- learning opportunities so that they also want to see those other people succeed we get our emails every monday morning telling me what's on at the hub and and you know i think i, I get to see all of the different hubs and you know there are dozens of community events happening every single week a- a- across the across the national network i mean that's pretty fascinating you it, it's kind of organic the events coming out of your community how do you then tap into that next level which might be things like i'm sure you've been propositioned for investment into um, some of these businesses or you might see a cool business and go that's fascinating we want to back that and help that go even quicker and scale like are you are you guys crossing that line that others may be or do you try to keep out of it investment Line, we are about to start crossing into how can we provide services, broker services for our members, but services that help them grow their business or take advantage of, you know, bulk buying power or something because there's hundreds of them. So that to the extent that we can add value, Mm. we're going to start looking at different member services that we can offer. 
our business is is connecting our members. Mm. So looking to take a clip or an investment in between it, we charge a membership, we charge a license. That's our business model. And to the extent which we can keep you happy and keep you staying paying that that membership, yeah. you know, we're more than a desk. So we, we are saying to, we will help you attract and retain staff, uh, you know, get new customers, find investment. It's actually part of the package. Um, and it always has been part yeah. of the package and we intend to continue. To continue, to continue to do that. Now, how much of the, the total office market is comprised of co-working? Uh, at the moment, a couple of percent. A couple in, of percent. Yeah, and in Brisbane, slightly less than that. Yep. Globally, so London's just hit 4%. Right. Uh, but interestingly, in the last 12 months, it was 10% of the space in London went to co-working. I think it was actually just slightly above 10% that. 10% of the space taken up. Yeah. Yeah, so it's double the so, speed. So it's, yeah. it, it's, yeah. it's growing. And, and you know, certainly, look, there, there are estimates as wild as 30% of commercial office will be done on flexible terms. Right. Certainly a figure of, say, 10% of commercial office on flexible terms. So that includes serviced offices, co-working. Yeah. But that's, you know, five, six times where it is now. Yeah, right. I absolutely do see that that will happen over uh, in in the near term. And do you think that's in the next decade or, oh, or it's sooner? In the next decade. It's in the next yeah. decade. And yeah. Look, if if we're talking ten percent, it could be sooner. Right. But the nature of property is, you know, like we've already got a site that is eighteen months away from us opening, and we're committed on it. So yeah, yeah. it takes you know, time. It it takes yeah. time. But five to ten years. Every company has flexible workspace as part of their overall workspace um, mix. mix. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that because, you know, the perception of co-working is that it's startups and small businesses and freelancers. But I understand that a fair bit of – a fair few of your users or customers – um, come from large, larger organisations. Talk us through what attracts a bigger organisation to something like the hub. Yeah, sure. And the biggest growing segment for co-working worldwide are large organisations, medium and large organisations. And, uh, you know, those requirements for teams where, you know, they do more than 20 desks or more than 100 mm. desks. To address it uh, first up, the flexibility of the terms, it is important. You know, when a large organisation is asked to grow their business and compete in industry mm. these days, the concept that you can have a, a 10 to 20 year plan, uh, it just doesn't exist. So how can you have a 10 to 20 year lease? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I need something that is adaptable and can suit my business requirements. Yep. There's also a change in the lease accounting standards coming up shortly where leases are going to need to go on to the balance sheet. Right. We, we, without getting getting yeah. too into it, it changes how financial statements are, are measured, which means that it changes the, the metrics by which people uh, evaluate things. Wow. A flexible licence from a co-working operator does not need to go on the balance sheet because it doesn't have a, a, a committed term of longer than 12 months. That's another difference. That's a game changer. Yeah, it's a game changer. It, it's going to continue to fundamentally shape how organisations choose their their space. Their, their space. And I, I think one of the, the, the terminology that a lot of people are using, you know, core space and, and then flex. And in your core component, I know if we've got 1,000 people, I know that 800 people, them more than likely are are always going to be there. So I'm going to put that on long-term leases, put that on the balance sheet, but then everything else that changes, I'm just going to put them on flexible terms. And gear up, gear down as I need. As I need. Um, Makes sense. 
Yeah. So that's the, the flexibility side of things and the cost side of things. But then also what people are looking to do is there is a fundamental and quest to get the best people to work for your organisation. One of the ways that I like to think about it is if you went to your thousand staff and you gave each of them $10,000 and said, here, you decide where you're going to work. You decide, will you pay for your seat in our corporate office? You know, the, I bet you a large majority of them would not choose to spend that $10,000 on the corporate office as it is now. They are looking for ways that they can work in diverse environments, in creative environments, closer to home, and most importantly, in activated spaces where they can learn, where they can meet, where they can connect. That's what co-working does. So large organisations, just like the small businesses I was talking about before, they're after the best talent. And so the extent to which they can put that great talent, expensive talent, in a workplace where they get the best work done and they want to keep coming back, that is driving a lot of the decisions where people are putting uh, project teams and, 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 and other larger teams into co-working. We hope you're enjoying this City Shapers podcast. If you are interested in more conversations like this one, head to The Urban Developer to subscribe to free daily news, features, interviews and more. Also, hit us up on social media by searching The Urban Developer on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram. And finally, if you're interested in checking out our events, conferences and workshops, head to our website for all the details. Let's get back to it. What is your competition? Is it existing offices or is it the WeWorks of the world? It, it's it's the other co-working operators in yep. where we are. We are starting, certainly WeWork's model and to some extent ours, we are starting to compete with traditional landlords. Um, so, you know, many of our businesses, even putting aside the the, the larger organisations, the, the, the Suncorps and what forth that use the hub, but the 20-person business that works from the hub, um, you know, traditionally they're out for 150 to 200 metres squared in, on, on normal commercial terms. That normally would be filled by a traditional landlord. So we are starting to, to find that we're, we're competing at the edges there mm-hmm. as well. And the big guys, the big real estate trusts, the Dexas's of the world have obviously moved into this flexible workspace model. Do you see that continuing? I, I do see it yeah. continuing. You know, I don't see all of them trying to do their own brands like GPT have done and, and, and you know, Dexas have done. Certainly, and, and this is not just me saying this, you know, w- worldwide the general sentiment is that we're, we're going to see a lot more hotel management style contracts. Um, you know, you'll have like the hub brand out the front but it might be a building owned by a REIT that, you know, has decided that they want a co-working operator in the building. Um, And increasingly, I think we'll find that, you know, landlords are not just going to let co-working operators run all these flexible spaces. Likewise, running co-working, this is not facilities management. These are people that we're dealing with and these are... It's a service business, yeah. It's a service business. Um, And just like um, REITs have decided to use hotel operators to run hotels, um, they're going to use co-working operators because they're not in the, they're not overall in the hospitality or service business. Sure. So we'll see a lot more of that, that, that coming up. And I mean, WeWork gets a lot of attention. Sure. 
For good reason. For good reason. I mean, are you are you concerned about their scale? As long as their scale continues to be as ambitious and and exciting, it's truly astonishing what they've been able to achieve in such a short period of time. Uh, and you know, shortly we will see a headline saying, you know, we work biggest landlord in the world. Um, it, it'll come sooner rather than later. As long as their ambition and scale is as big as it is, it also provides a tremendous amount of opportunity for us to really focus yeah. <laughs> on those growing businesses and being that premium provider of, of co-working in Australia. So, you know, WeWork helps grow the market. It brings a lot more people into it. But by pure virtue of the scale of what they're doing, their product can't be, you know, as authentic and clo- and, and customised as what we're doing. So talk us through then some of the connections that get made within the hub because that's something, I mean, you would have seen some fascinating coming together of businesses or mergers or takeouts or or whatever. I mean, give us an example of the kind of things that happen within within the hub. The ones I like the most are when, you know, we hear of a business with, you know, like one person in them and two people in them. And then a few years later, I see them with the benefit of having years in the hub now. And they're not even working on that project anymore. They're not even working in that business, but they're still part of the hub community and mm. they've gone on and done, you know, business with each other and and, and, and and worked on new things. When people leave the hub and then they come back later because they're still connected with the work opportunities or the business opportunities that are there. Mm. One of the things that is often misunderstood about co-working is that whole, it's all a bunch of freelancers and startups. You know, about 18 months ago, more of the people that are part of the hub community were employees of the companies that have chosen to base themselves at the hub. Right. And that's only continued to grow. So actually it's, it's those connections between all of the teams of the businesses at the hub. Mm-hmm. That's what's most exciting to me. So you've got some pretty ambitious plans. You've got a couple of new office locations. Just talk us through where the hub as a business is going. Sure. So um, the hub's looking to to roll out a, a, a national network of, of premium co-working communities, all focused on growing businesses. Um, over the next three years, we'd expect that we'll have 12 to 15 uh, spaces open from the four that we are at the moment. We've already got another four under construction. We will be across Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide by the end of the year. And then we've got a couple of um, spaces already under construction in Sydney and Melbourne uh, for next year. Uh, we will continue to be in CBD and immediate fringe. Um, I definitely see a future for for hub in suburban and even regional areas into the future. Um, For the moment, though, it really is focused on those growing businesses, providing them a, a, you know, a a premium co-working offering. And then, and this is the bit like I guess I'm most excited about is where we move from talking about our growth in terms of number of locations and number of our square metres and moving towards talking about our our growth and our value in terms of the number of members and the number of businesses. We've long gone beyond the, we're just providing a a desk, you know, people are, are part of the hub because of how it helps it grow their business. To the extent that we can really 
get into deliberately going about adding value to each of our members. Mm-hmm. That's where that's the stuff that really gets me excited, and that's the stuff that we can do when we have not not just hundreds of members, but thousands of members growing their business across the country. Yeah, that's where we really want to be able to get to. And your business is privately owned. It is. It is. It yep. is. We took some private equity. Uh, last year to help support the growth. Um, But, you know, it was founded by myself and family. Essentially, it's a family-owned business now supported by by private equity to continue to grow. How good. And so you've observed how people are working and how that is a very changing um, kind of thing. How do you think all the technological advances of the future, be they artificial intelligence and machine learning or whether they be, you know, the, the way that we connect in with other people, this kind of transition from biological beings into sort of digital beings. How will that change in, say, 10, 20 years in your mind? What are you predicting? Glad that you said 10 to 20 years. Look, there's many wild predictions when we talk about the, the 20 and 30 years on. But in 10 years, the, the single biggest one for me and particularly what I do, um, virtual reality. Um, You know, the concept that you, you know, we always talked about video conferencing and teleconferencing and how that would change the world and enable the remote worker. When we're actually talking about virtual reality and completely inserting ourselves into a virtual world, that will fundamentally change how people use the physical workspace. You no longer will it be, oh, this person only needs to come in for a few days a week or a few days a month uh, because we've given them video conferencing. No, you've given them a virtual reality where they can completely still immerse themselves in the organisation from anywhere in the world. That will fundamentally change how physical property is used again. And I think while co-working will be identified as the disruptor of commercial real estate in this decade, virtual reality for the next one. I think what is also interesting are the people that will be able to thrive in a workforce with technology like virtual reality. And, you know, I think we'll see this is where, um, you know, millennials and the, the newer generations coming in and gamers who spend time in virtual worlds. Uh, I, I think the, the skill set that allow has allowed uh, people like uh, myself to be successful and a, a lot of other people to be successful because of the the skill set and uh, that they were able to bring into work will not be the skill set <laughs> and will not be the characteristics mm. that make you successful in a in in a workforce that's supercharged by tech like virtual reality or like artificial intelligence. So let's unpack that just a little bit more. Because it's fascinating. How will virtual reality change workplaces? What is the tangible change? Physically, you'll be able to not be in the workplace and still be connected with your colleagues in a way. um, So a boardroom table like the one we're sitting at at the moment would have a series of holograms or something like that. And Bob is sitting at one chair and he's beaming in live from San Francisco. And then Mary's on another chair and she's beaming in from Beijing. It's not even so much the holograms. It's you're all in that virtual world yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and I could be there's a great photo in a recent co-working report and you know it's it's somebody in what looks like an empty room and they've got their virtual reality headset on and if you've ever had a virtual reality headset on who, who knows where they are yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that having that technology on is going to do is you'll be able to pull in 
data and pull in um, models and pull in all of these things into and, that, yeah. that thing. But taking it a little bit away from the tech, like one of the things that was often touted when video conferencing came in and when co-working came in is, oh, the head office is dead. No, the head the head office in is is not dead, and if anything, its importance just continues to get more to, important to, yeah. to, to grow. Mm-hmm. So even when we do have these VR headsets, I'm not saying that the head office won't exist, but its role in creating an amazing company will change, and more and more and more, the the head office is simply going to. It, it might be a cafe. Yeah. It might just be a kitchen. It's a culture. It's, 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 it's a cultural experience. It's yeah. just simply yeah. to create connections so that when people go off to do their work, um, they'll know who they're working with. And to showcase what they do. Yeah, the yeah. best ideas. Yeah. Mate, this is truly fascinating. Um, congratulations on your business. Um, I followed it since probably the start. Um, <laughs> that was really interesting to hear that. <laughs> yeah, for those, for those, <laughs> Brad and I had a conversation previous to this about the fact that uh, we very, very nearly jumped into the co-working business uh, at about the same time that he did. And um, we ended up here and you've ended up there. So um, that's, congratulations. That's fascinating to you and your team. Um, and uh, we continue to watch you on your journey. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. As you can see, I, I, I like talking about this. It's, it's exciting what's going on, how this is just completely changing how people go about working and it's just becoming more rewarding and and, and, and enriching for them in their work, work life. Well, your passion exudes into your company. So thank you for your time. Thanks. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Propolytics. Propolytics is available on iTunes and Google Play Store, or you can check it out further at propolytics.com.au. Thanks for tuning in to the City Shapers podcast. If you like what you hear, you can support us by commenting, rating and sharing this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or any of our social channels. And finally, let us know who you want to hear from next by contacting us at podcast at theurbandeveloper.com. Thanks, and we look forward to you tuning in next time.